afternoon, everybody. Well, as Nick said, it's a, a very full room, and perhaps one way of emptying it fairly quickly is to <laughs> give you three caveats to what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon. First is, um, I decided not to use a PowerPoint, um, so you won't have lots of images <coughs> to sort of keep your interest alive. Um, you'll have to listen to my voice or, or leave. Secondly is, <laughs> as Nick said, um, my interest and my expertise is really around refugees and forced migration. So my paper is very much focused about journeys into exile. It's very much focused on the literature such as it is and my own thinking about refugee journeys rather than migrant journeys, to the extent one can sort of make that separation. <coughs> Obviously, a lot of what I will say is going to be germane to both categories or both parts of the, the typology, but it is going to be focused on, um, on refugees. And the third caveat is um, that the paper is very much, as, as Nick said, about some, some of the conceptual and methodological challenges. Um, I was telling Michael Keith, I've had in my computer a fully worked up research project on this theme, and it's been there for about six years. I got overwhelmed becoming director of RSC and never actually managed to um, sort of enact the research. But... Uh, so my work is not at all empirically based. It's just really just thinking about the nature of the challenges of researching um, journeys, refugee journeys in particular. Um, and really, I, I guess the other seven seminars in this series are much more about the empirics of, of, uh, of refugee or migrant journeys rather than thinking about the broader sort of context and conceptual issues. So with those caveats in mind, um, what I want to do this afternoon is really present a paper... Um, which is by no means fully worked up, um, but really some sort of first ideas. And I want to, after some introductory comments, which is very much what Nick has said about the sort of the lacuna, if you like, in studying the journey, I want to say a little bit about that. I want to say a little bit about the, the kind of extant research that does seem to exist. It's not a completely barren field, but it is remarkably thin um, for, for reasons that I'll talk about. I want to then uh, sort of argue why I think it is important to study um, the journey uh, and its kind of value, if, it, if, if you will, to scholars, uh, researchers and indeed policy makers uh, in, in the field of migration. Then I want to sort of spend uh, rather more time focusing on the conceptual challenges and then if there's time the methodological challenges and, and that will be the end. So um, it's, a, it's a paper in really sort of four or five main parts and I'll Without a PowerPoint, um, I'll sort of make it clear when we're moving from one phase of the presentation to the other. So just some kind of introductory thoughts, really. I, I, I suppose my kind of entry point to this, I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, but really was this kind of paradox or the curiosity that so much research on refugees and forced migration is dominated either by the causes of refugee flows and exile or the consequence of exile, where refugees end up, uh, where IDPs end up and so on. Conditions under which refugees are forced to flee and then the reception settlement in the host country, the impact of uprooting uh, over time. These are the kind of key themes of, of social science. Refugees are forced into exile, they arrive in the host country. The study of their existence focuses really on either end of the, of the spectrum and what happens in between the actual sort of exilic process, the actual exilic event the journey is largely ignored or forgotten. 
It seems to me that since it is flight in the broader sense of the word, which is a very distinctive indicator of refugeehood or becoming a refugee, it seems to me kind of neglect of the journey was, was rather remarkable. And as Nick says, I think one can see um, a parallel sort of a vacuum in migration studies. It focuses on its own issues and biases dominated by research that seeks to disentangle the causes and patterns of migration, the effects of migration on uh, the receiving countries and on the migrant population itself. In other words, dealing with you know, who prospective migrants are or prospective emigrants are in their sending country and then, as Nick said, more predominantly the immigrants in the receiving country and what connects them is little research. So in both these literatures, it seems to me, um, dealing with mobile populations, it's sort of where they come from and why and the country and the destination that they end up is the focal point. And this kind of bipolarity neglects the phenomenon that actually joins the two extremes, the journey <coughs> and the experience of the migrant during that process. And it's a, it seems to me it's a phenomenon that isn't really mapped in any significant way in, in the research enterprise. But then one can sort of see kind of different kind of entry points in looking at this connectivity. I guess one could argue that a lot of research on transnational societies and diasporic communities, which obviously in the last 10 years has grown enormously, seeks to make a kind of bridge, not the journey exactly, but seems to make this bridge between the origin and destination the focus on the kind of modes of connection between related populations in countries of origin, countries of destination, opposite ends of the spectrum, and the exchange and interplay of cultural norms, identities, material resources, remittances, and so on. But the phenomenon, again, of the journey the, as the actual medium of connection, if you like, back and forth movements, is, uh, has stimulated only patchy research. And then it seems another point, and I guess this is why the salience really of the journey becomes more significant recently, I think has been given sort of particular emphasis obviously by international concern over smuggling and trafficking and the appalling accounts of land and sea travel, the horrific sights of bodies being washed up on the Mediterranean shore and the Gulf of Aden and so on. And these events occur with amazing regularity around the world and reprise memories of the Vietnamese boat people in the late 70s. But of course then, in the 70s and now, the humanitarian concern about the trauma of the journey quickly gives way to the real politique of, well, these are irregular migrants, um, thorny questions of international law, jurisdiction, extraterritorial processing and the lot. So again, the kind of journey is <coughs> shifted into the background. Now of course the, these experiences are relatively small proportion of the world's migratory movement and certainly the world's irregular movement and their visibility probably attracts a disproportionate amount of interest. But the key point I would make is that we have little understanding of what the short and long-term effects are uh, on migrants of these traumatic <coughs> journeys, and even less traumatic <coughs> journeys, I would argue, are likely to have meaningful and a potentially transformative impact, which I think is of value to study. So taking these different perspectives, the broad sweep of refugee migration studies, the more specific focus on transnationalism and then the more specific focus still on smuggling and trafficking. I think what is surprising is just how little research there is in each of these perspectives that analyzes and documents the migrant experience and the meanings which they and we might ascribe to those journeys. The phenomenon of the journey, whether it's a spontaneous journey or whether it's a planned journey such as a quota refugee, has engaged minimal and fragmentary research. And perhaps even more surprising given the 
policy salience of durable solutions, the return journey, the repatriation journey, is also a surprising omission, um, despite expensive, extensive research on repatriation as a phenomenon itself, but not the journey of return. So this, this kind of gap, if you like, the lacuna in studying the episode between sort of exile and reception, between departure and arrival, I think is neglected perhaps partly because it's perceived as a kind of in-between phase, but I think it's surprising for two reasons. First, for refugees, as I said at the very beginning, it is precisely the force characteristic of the event, the activity of the journey and the con connotations of the journey being a journey of expulsion, uprooting, flight, uh, which is so distinctive from other forms of migration. It's, it's amazing that there is a neglect. And I suppose secondly, the failure to connect exile and arrival disregards the meaning and, as I say, the possibly profound impacts uh, that the journey into exile itself has on the subsequent lives of, of most, if not all, refugees. And my argument really is that I suspect there are very powerful processes occur on these usually difficult journeys, particularly for refugees, which affect the individual, they affect the community, they affect the people who are travelling, um, in very life-changing ways. And analysing these journeys, and these journeys and the narratives in particular, I think can inform us a lot about the psychosocial impacts of the journey, the relations between meaning and coping, social and individual um, resilience, issues of trust, um, how communal and cultural resources are drawn on in extreme situations, and encounters with an adaptation uh, in the face of a new country. My own interest in this, in fact, um, arose about 2003-2004 uh, uh, when I was asked to do um, a review, an extended review piece for a, a journal called the History Workshop Journal, which is quite a radical journal focusing very much on oral and narrative um, uh, uh, methodologies for historical analysis. And it was a book by um, an Israeli psychologist called The Journey into... Let's get the precisely. Uh, Ethiopian Jewish Exodus. It's uh, by an author, uh, Gadi Beneza, who we've met on many occasions and we've talked about this issue and, uh, with Nick as well. And what struck me about the book is that it was the first, and to my slightly uncertain <laughs> um, sense now, it was the only, uh, uniquely, it was a book that focused and analysed the impact of the journey the transport of the Falasha Jews from um, Ethiopia um, in the 1970s, I guess it was. <coughs> and quite a lot of the paper today, I think, draws on the kind of discussions and dialogues and conversations I've had with Gadi since then. But it was the writing that extended review piece that really kind of awoke my interest in the, the issue of the journey. It led to this, the creation um, of... The, the research project, the one, the, the research project that was never done or has not been done yet. So my own journey about journeys has been rather a long one. It's been very protracted. It's been somewhat episodic, and it certainly isn't finished yet, which is probably a bit like the paper itself. So the question then is, well, we say there is a vacuum. We say there is a lacuna. I mean, to what extent is that true? And once I started digging, um, it does become... Um, the vacuum is still a very powerful one and a very surprising one. I'll say more about that in a minute. But there is clear evidence of fragmentary research and writing and investigation. 
There's uh, a book by Kaplan, which is quite celebrated, about 30 years old, Boat People and the Achievement of America. One can think of Rennie Hirschen's book, Heirs to the Greek Catastrophe, and then her later edited volume, Crossing the Aegean. Not about journeys as such, but part of the journey was, if you like, in the, in the background of those <coughs> experiences that she was researching. One can think of uh, Peter Loisos's book, The Heart Grown Bitter, about the um, interviewing refugees in the immediate aftermath of their um, exodus from northern Cyprus in 74. Again, not some of those uh, narratives are about the journey, but it, 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 the journey is the context for uh, understanding their immediate reaction to exile. And then another very uh, powerful paper he wrote in Journal of Refugee Studies called The Ottoman Half-Lives, which again was not about journeys as such, but uh, focused on the journey as a kind of context for social change and adaptation. So there are a number of, uh, a, 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 a number of kind of fragments really of, of evidence about the significance of the journey but never perhaps followed up in great detail. And then interestingly enough, if you look at Elizabeth Colson's uh, consummate summary of anthropological research in forced migration, a paper she wrote in the Journal of Refugee Studies in 2003, she mentions neither the role of the journey nor its neglect by researchers. And given the focus of her own work, really, about the transformative experience of forced migration and her, her central role in our field, it's rather surprising that in her own summary she doesn't acknowledge that, not a criticism of her, but really a representation of the kind of vacuum that I think is a matter of concern. I think what we do find, however, is um, a lot of personal and poignant accounts of journeys by refugees, and there's a kind of rich oral history there. Um, but even here, the journey often forms only a small part of the total narrated experience. Um, there's a very powerful book by, by Avram, again in the mid-1980s, uh, Treacherous Journey, My Escape from Ethiopia. There's a, a celebrated collection of essays by Ron Baker, The Refugee Experience, Communication, Stress, Recollections of Refugee Survivors, and it's, again, looking at the journey uh, in that context. Um, several papers that I published in the early days of the Journal of Refugee Studies in the late 1980s, early 1990s, there was a section I had there called Refugee <coughs> Voices, and at that time I was, uh, well not inundated, that would be too strong a word, but a lot of the refugee voices were small anecdotal oral histories, very poignant accounts of um, memories of exile, memories of the journey uh, by Holocaust survivors for example. But as I say, much of this material is anecdotal, it's personal oral accounts and they're very powerful testimonies in themselves and a remarkable insight into the significance of the journey, but they're largely, largely descriptive. They lack a kind of coherent or systematic frame of analysis for the experience, and they're not set in a broader context <coughs> of social, political, historical phenomena. <coughs> the notable exception, as I said, is Gadi Benez's study um, of the journey itself as lived experience, as a metaphor, as a concept or a construct. And apart from his book, um, that has not really been the object, the journey has not really been the object of a systematic study. His book had as its central purpose the exploration of the process or the event of exile itself, and it was an initial attempt to document and interpret the life-changing experience of the, of the Falasha Jews and their resettlement from, from Ethiopia to Israel. 
he is a, a, a psychologist and much of the book focuses on the psychological impacts of upheaval, reactions to personal loss on the journey, how the journey transcended the immediate physical event to be a profoundly life-changing experience uh, in itself and in terms of their subsequent settlement and their reconstruction of their identity in Israel. And of course there was a double irony uh, in, in, in the book as he argues. First, uh, although the, the, the book is called The Ethiopian Jewish Exodus, first irony is that the journey was not so much an exodus but really the accomplishment of a dream of uh, really a millennia-old diasporic Jewish group gathered back into Jerusalem, a one that, of course, they'd never seen. And then the other paradox, the other irony, is that even if it was an exodus, <coughs> as in the title, once they arrived in, in Israel, of course, in new society, mainstream Israeli society, completely ostracised and marginalised people they saw as black Jews, as a misfit minority group. So the significance, I think, though, um, despite the particularity of his study, is that uniquely it is a study of the journey, and I'll say a little bit more about his work uh, later on in the, in the talk today. So despite the very kind of rich sort of activity, research activity in the field of migration refugee studies, there's no obvious research projects on the journey, with the journey as a central object of investigation. They scarcely appear in any sort of indexes <coughs> of books. And if you look at some of the classic sort of overviews, Michael Maris's book in 1985, Zolberg's book, actually called Escape from Violence, doesn't mention the journey at all, but the, the word, the, the title would be, I think, sort of significantly um, a window on that kind of phenomenon. Um, if you look at uh, all the State of the World Refugees report by UNHCR from 1995 <coughs> to even this year's State of the World's Refugees, the journey doesn't feature at all as a phenomenon that is worth analysing even as from a policy perspective, let alone an academic perspective. If we then sort of think of migration studies, with the exception of, of the studies of nomadic and mobile communities, um, there is a remarkable neglect as well. Um, there are a number of, of studies, mainly historical studies. Mary Chamberlain, for example, has done um, a lot of work on what she calls narratives of exile and return, particularly looking at the uh, migration of Caribbean communities in the 1950s to the UK. Um, and a number of other studies which um, are, are in the, um, the bibliography of the paper, and I'm sort of happy to, to share the bibliography at this stage. But you can look at um, the uh, Encyclopedia of the Social Sciences. You look under migration, there is no mention of the journey. Uh, in Stephen Castle's Age of Migration, the journey doesn't fit uh, <coughs> at all. Um, if you look at Robin Cohen's work on global diasporas and his uh, Cambridge study survey of world migration 1995, okay, getting off at 20 years old, the journey doesn't feature. So then moving on then to how can we account for this lacuna? What, why then is it not, the journey not taken as a unit of study by social scientists and particular by researchers? I think an early glimpse, really, of the opportunity, but a missed opportunity, was by uh, Egon Kuntz's classic work on, on refugees in the 1970s and 19, uh, early 1980, two classic papers he wrote in uh, International Migration Review, developing his kinetic model. And he, I think, tried to develop a conceptual framework of different modes and timing of refugee movement that might have a bearing on the journey. And I think here particularly of one of the one part of his typology, what he called the anticipatory refugee, 
In other words, lying behind that term, it seems to me, was the notion of a journey being contemplated. <coughs> but his work, I think, never kind of developed, and scholars lacked the appropriate tools and concepts to analyse the meaning of the journey. It could be argued, it seems to me, the reason for the lacuna in migration research around the journey, uh, particularly for refugees, is that it is simply transitory. It's a kind of in-between stage of perhaps little or no important importance. Migrants and refugees these days board an aeroplane or maybe a boat. Within a few hours they reach their destination. They're admitted if they're lucky and they've got the right visas. But I think there are two counters to this proposition that it's simply a transitory phase. First, whilst it's true in some instances, it's really this simple in the contemporary world. Most migrants undertake a journey which is usually complicated and demanding, if not necessarily perhaps traumatic and protracted in the case of uh, boat people crossing the Mediterranean. And, as we've seen, it is not always the case that migrants travel by air. Land and sea routes are much more significant, by and large, certainly for undocumented migrants, um, and not least because they can circumvent some of the major constraints on the journey, which are, which are borders and immigration officials. Secondly, it seems to me that in the case of a plane journey, by compressing journey times, and thus the opportunity to register and absorb transition which might take place over a protracted journey, it may actually be more significant in dramatising the contrast between the place of origin and the destination. Here it is actually the transitory nature of the journey which may actually have very potentially significant impacts rather than an incidental role. So I think sort of one explanation of the lacuna that it's simply transitory can be discounted on those two grounds. But I think there is another explanation for the lacuna in research. <coughs> And it could be that the refugees themselves actually fail or perhaps are unwilling to construct the journey, as Beneza said, in their minds as a period in itself with specific meaning and significance for the rest of their lives. Could it be that they block out the stress and the trauma of the event? Now my contention here is that the deficit lies actually largely in the realm of researchers rather than the migrants or the refugees themselves. We've lacked the conceptual tools, we've not realised perhaps the significance, we've not asked the questions um, to investigate the phenomenon. So again, I would reject the notion that it's simply, in inverted commas, the refugees themselves not wanting to narrate um, or contemplate the journey and its meaning. I would argue that the challenge is a research challenge rather than a, a challenge or a denial by the refugees themselves. We can perhaps debate that. So moving on then from a discussion of the lacuna, what I, would, what I want to now uh, spend a little bit of time talking about is really why study the journey? What's the research value? Uh, are we just constructing a particular social phenomenon, a particular event, a particular process for some kind of heuristic value or does it have perhaps a more significant purpose in, in understanding I think particularly refugee migration and refugee movement? The Historian Oscar Handlin uh, edited a book called Immigration as a Factor in American History, um, getting on for 50 years ago, the end of the 1950s. And one of the parts of that book is a very interesting example or discussion of a passage from Germany to the United States in the 19th century. And it could almost be studied in itself, but I think it's significant <laughs> for what the argument I tried to make today. The journey on the boat took uh, 70 days. It included many torments and obstacles, the humiliation and degradation by the captain and the crew. 
105 people died on the journey, a fifth of those who embarked in Hamburg. Um, and in a, title in a chapter entitled The Perils of the Crossing, Handlin writes, For a long time the difficulties of the voyage between Europe and America exerted a deep influence upon all immigrants. Death claimed many who left their homes with hope in their hearts, and the fear of the dangers kept others at home. But even those who came safely off the ship for years thereafter were marked by the trying experience. Another example, I want to use two or three examples really to sort of build the case. In 1939, a German liner called the St. Louis um, tried to bring about a thousand mostly German Jewish refugees to North America. It was turned away by Cuba, by the US and Canada and forced back to Europe where many of the passengers uh, were then incarcerated in the concentration camps and died. For the fortunate few who survived the war, the journey must have marked them, especially since the journey's failure caused the subsequent incarceration and death of their fellow travellers. It's impossible to believe that that experience was uh, denied, rejected, or somehow buried in the memory uh, that had no significance in their subsequent lives. One can think of survivors of the trainloads of massacred Hindus and Muslims fleeing the partition of India in 1947. That event cannot have had, failed to have had, be described, <coughs> if you like, as a life-changing experience in their memories. And the same for Hmong people fleeing the mountain areas, trekking for months into Thailand, bus to Bangkok, flown to the US. So all these journeys are known about and some are even discussed, and I've alluded to some of the literature early, earlier, but they form neither the focus nor a coherent body of research. But I don't think we can assume that for the individuals, the families, or even unaccompanied children predominant today who endure these journeys, it was anything other than a significant experience, that one that would remain with people throughout their lives. These are just a few examples, it seems to me, of the journeys that could not fail to be constructed in the minds of survivors as a period in itself with specific meaning and significance of itself and for the rest of their lives. And if individuals and communities and groups are marked to such an extent by the experience of the journey, it's reasonable, I think, to assume that the memory of the journey and the impact of the journey would remain with them uh, for much of the rest of their lives. It probably became a unique part of the life story, certainly of many refugees, and their sense of self, their identity. It must have affected the way in which these survivors, in handling study, for example, re-evaluated and reconstructed their experience of the new world and the new life which they hoped for, influenced by the conditions of their arrival in America. And undoubtedly, one must assume it had an effect on their subsequent adjustment and integration. And it seems to me these are kind of the beginnings of core research and policy questions, answers to which might shed new light on the survival and characteristics of refugees and migrants. <coughs> it's tempting to think that only the traumatic journeys outlined here are transformative and retain powerful meaning, but I suspect that even less dramatic journeys are just as influential in marking the identity of the wayfarer. More specifically, I would argue that the significance of the journey as a research enterprise, I, I think, is significant in four respects. First of all, I think it's significant in terms of a journey as an important, reflect, potentially important, what I would call a reflexive medium, medium, generating insights into the ways in which the experience of the journey conditions and shapes the identity of the refugee, 
their perspectives on belonging and loss, the attitudes towards the country of origin, the meaning of exile, and exploring, if you like, the expulsion process and the mode of exile and the conditioning effect and the meaning of the journey, I think, is an important uh, entry point, if you like, into uh, a kind of reflexive study of the identity of the refugee. <coughs> a second, I think, important and sort of powerful uh, research driver, if you like, is that I think the journey can and potentially does provide a very significant lens on societal change. And by this I mean that analysis of the journey is a potentially innovative way of investigating many of the basic social attributes and resources that we're interested in as, as <coughs> refugee migration scholars. And the journey itself, I think, provides a particular spotlight on some of the social, cultural, political and faith and other resources which refugees draw on to sustain themselves in their journeys. And this is very much the focus of uh, Beneza's work looking at, for example, the, the, the impact of different generations on the journey and how they responded and the resources they brought to bear as means of survival, how their faith was used, how different gender responses mediated the experience and the, the, the capacity to cope with the journey. So how these kind of core attributes adjust, differ and impacted by the journey seems to me to be significant. And then obviously, particularly from the point of view of refugees, another kind of lens on societal change, I think, is about survival and coping, which are sort of core uh, media, if you like, of, of refugee research. So the third, um, I think, significant, refugee, uh, significant research, um, uh, or, or the significance of research in this field, I think, is that the journey provides the medium for the refugee voice. I'll say a bit more about this towards the end of my presentation. But it's certainly the case, and uh, much of the work that I've cited are the narratives and the oral histories of individuals, their own testimonies. I think the journey is a very powerful voice for the, a, a powerful medium for the refugees to express their voice, to be heard in a kind of novel context, if you like, presenting particular histories and experiences of the journey. It's very much uh, the refugees putting their point of view, which obviously is not just or not only about the anguish and the trauma and the suffering, but their active and, or rather their active uh, stance, their resourcefulness, their motivation, their commitment that was needed to escape and survive the journey and gain sanctuary. And I think the fourth reason is that. Uh, Studies of the journey, I think, are a, be a very powerful medium for better informing policy. Understanding the journey and its impacts on the individuals and the communities, I think, will provide, or can and should provide, a very valuable and a very distinctive way of understanding how the expectations of the refugee and <coughs> the migrant survived on the journey, the challenges, and I think very often the, the sort of pathological and dysfunctional reaction of refugees to um, and refugee communities to exile, to encampment, the challenge of longer term adaptation and exile. I think much of these could be better understood um, and better framed, not just as researchers but by policymakers, if we had an enhanced knowledge of the profound and the transformative impact of the journey into exile. And I think understanding how the journey is a, a way in which identities are constructed or reconstructed social worlds are changed, the stresses, the issues of trust between different refugees on a journey, I think can better inform policymakers 
who can shape resettlement and reception policies, I think taking into account um, something that is much more than simply a transition or a transit experience. So the argument, I think, or the value, I think, is that the process and the meaning of the journey is likely to have a very transformative role on the lives uh, of the wayfarers during the journey and mediating their experience of exile, the country of exile, and the country in which they're settled. So I think the overall value of studying a journey as a construct, as a metaphor, as an object, is that even with the kind of glimpses I've provided so far, investigation, I think, has the potential to inform a much deeper <coughs> academic understanding of the life-changing meaning of forced displacement itself. I want to now focus on the, the, the next part of the paper, which is to look at some of the conceptual challenges. So having argued the significance of the journey, uh, it's not to say that the exploration of it is without significant challenges in itself. Um, and I've argued that so far that the journey can, I think, be interpreted at several different levels as a kind of conceptual construct, if you like, certainly as a physical process, as a historical event, as a symbolic episode in the minds of, of many refugees, as a metaphor for mo a, a metaphor for mobility, but a metaphor for understanding exile and change, and obviously as a material expression and the representation of being a refugee oneself. It's a very distinctive indicator of refugeehood. It seems to me that in terms of the conceptual challenges, what I've tried to do here is to group them in um, a series of questions and really provide a kind of an overarching architecture to those questions. And the first set of questions, it seems to me, uh, one kind of problematic um, in terms of conceptualising the journey is, first of all, you know, is the journey a finite experience or not? The assumption that it starts at a point or a time and finishes at another destination or time. So the first question is, you know, is the journey a finite experience in the mind and the lived experience of, of the refugee or the migrant? And what about the temporal context and characteristics of the journey and the destination? So is the journey a kind of time-limited and a time-defined physical event with a finite period? Um, how we, and more importantly perhaps how refugees construct and understand the kind of pre- and the post-period of the journey and what these include, I think, again, is a conceptual challenge, but asking the question, I think, and trying to answer the question will, will reveal potentially significant insights into the physical, symbolic, and the psychological representation of the journey. So when does the journey start? I would argue the journey, in most cases, starts before the person actually starts moving. In other words, the journey is not a physical event or process, but the journey starts in the mind in the planning, the anticipation of events that may lead to exile or migration. It starts in the mind from stories that are relayed by migrants or refugees who have already done the journey and transmit back their experience. It may actually be materialised, very unlikely in the case of refugees these days, in an application for a visa. More likely is networking with smugglers, guides, traffickers and so on. All these experiences seem to me to produce a kind of anticipatory socialisation to the journal, to the journey itself, the new country, the destination. It's a journey in the mind as much as, and that, and that may be quite a long time evolving in the mind before the physical process starts. 
And that journey in the mind might also commence with the mental separation from family, household, community, country, place of origin. Another kind of issue about the kind of the finiteness, or what I would argue the infiniteness of the journey, is how long does the journey last? So this set of questions, it seems to me, considers whether and how the duration of the journey impacts the wayfarers, and what impacts this might have, the period of the journey might have on their social transformation and individual transformation. Some journeys will obviously be completed very rapidly, with a reasonably clear destination, <coughs> even though there might have been sort of barriers en route that have to be other, overcome. But other journeys are likely to be much more fragmented and comprise arbitrary and haphazard stages. I mean, uh, I, was, I was thinking um, in this context, for example, the very complex and episodic patterns of displacement in Somalia and Democratic Republic of Congo over the last five, ten years. Thinking particularly of Anna Lindley's work, which, which Nick and I know very well in, in Somalia and the Horn of Africa, with many phases of forced displacement of refugees and IDPs, moving backwards and forwards, sometimes over very short distances, sometimes over long distances, sometimes over a long period, sometimes perhaps over very short fragmented journeys, varying distances, <coughs> searching for safety from uh, rapidly shifting battle lines. The one-way journey with a clear beginning and a clear end is very, very far from the experience of many refugees and IDPs in the contemporary world. Rather, the journey is a kind of semi-permanent, uh, multi-phase process. One might almost think of it as a kind of postmodernist experience where nothing's stable, nothing is static, everything is kind of on the move. And this is certainly the experience of many refugees in the contemporary world. If you think of Dadab Camp, you've got residents who've been there 20 years with those who arrived just in, in the last few weeks, very significant hundreds of thousands in the last year or so because of droughts in the Horn of Africa. So the journey itself is not a clear-cut process. It may be very episodic, it may be <coughs> take place over a long time. And then there are these paradoxical stories of wayfarers who never complete the journey. They may, in a sense, get stuck en route for whatever reason, and many perhaps instead become uh, use experience to become professional guides to facilitate and provide the conduits for others making complicated or challenging journeys and a bit like the sort of the flying Dutchman really condemned to sail the oceans for the whole of his life this kind of ironic inscribing of the journey into the identity of these wayfarers and as a means of survival offers another kind of curious almost postmodernist perspective the journey becomes an end in and of itself when does the journey end? The question remains, of course, is that it perhaps never ends. Is there an overall outcome to the journey? It may end as a physical event, but just as it starts in the mind, I would argue that the journey continues in the mind way after the moment of arrival, the point of destination. And it does not reach an end stage, maybe for many people, at all. For most migrants, the physical journey is but one stage of a process. And when it ends is really contingent on, I think, many other circumstances about reception in the new society. For many migrants, as we know, secondary migration is a, a very, um, very well-known phenomenon, uh, a necessary experience within the country, perhaps to a third country. And of course, under conditions of protracted <coughs> exile, um, settlement, refugee, uh, settlement and integration, social mobility and so on are a continuous process. And the journey takes on a kind of extended meaning of transience to their lives and their identity. So I think 
trying to define the journey as a kind of time-defined event ignores the much more kind of metaphorical account of the journey as a process of social and personal transformation, which extends, as I say, well beyond the physical event. A different set of questions, I think, concern uh, the drive in terms of trying to conceptualise the journey is trying to is, is looking at the drivers that motivate the journey and the characteristics of the journey itself. And here, I suppose, one of the questions would be: Do different typologies of journey and what precipitates them matter to an analysis and the way we conceptualise the journey? Uh, almost four decades ago, Kuntz, I mentioned earlier, tried to elaborate a typology of events of precipitated refugees, and that was later elaborated by scholars like Anthony Richmond uh, and, and Nick, certainly um, uh, 15 years ago or so. So, trying, and I, I think the, the point of these kind of typologies, differentiating, for example, perhaps partition journeys, India, Pakistan, Cyprus, where my own work has largely been focused, from journeys which are motivated or precipitated by persecution, ethnic cleansing, genocide journeys uh, from the Second World War, from Rwanda, Bosnia, disaster and development journeys, some really quite interesting narrative accounts of um, migrants from New Orleans who were dispossessed by the hurricane there, um, what, three, four years ago now, and their, their sense of the journey largely into sort of safe territory in Texas and so on but the, what that journey meant to them in terms of dispossession and the fundamental change of their lives. Um, or perhaps environmentally induced displacement, again, some of the work that I'm doing in countries like Vietnam and Bangladesh. Do, does the driver of displacement have significance in the way we conceptualise the journey and how we try and analyse and interpret it? I think it does, because the, the way in which the journey is conceptualised in the mind and the mode of departure... I think are going to be very powerfully influence the perspectives which forced, migration, forced migrants bring to bear on the purpose and the meaning of the journey. A journey motivated by a kind of life-saving, life-saving escape, I think, will have a very different uh, meaning from one that's precipitated, say, by ethnic cleansing, <coughs> where the journey may come to symbolise the kind of injustice of expulsion. And persecution in the country of origin and expulsion as a motor force for the journey may be contrasted with the journey as a process of suffering and really as an entrance ticket to a new society. And I think the mode of travel also, again within this sort of broad sort of area that I'm talking about now, about the sort of drivers and the mode and, and, and the experience of the journey itself, I think again we need to sort of begin to elaborate the different modes of travel. <coughs> and I've already alluded to this in terms of um, the, the, the short transitory air, air flight from the long, perhaps months, years long transit with um, the help of smugglers halfway perhaps across the globe. So different time periods, I think different modes are going to alter the nature of transition, the nature of experience, the duration of the journey for someone who, as I say, has moved very quickly from somebody who's moved perhaps in a slower way. A third set of conceptual characteristics, and I think perhaps this is the most interesting, is really the, the characteristics of the people themselves on the move, investigating how individuals or groups react, interact on the journey, how these interactions shape their identity, define their experience of the journey, the meaning they impart to it, their relations and trust in their fellow travellers, I think constitute a very 
significant area of research, central to obviously a lot of our wider investigation, social scientific investigation of migrant and migrant experiences. So one set of questions I think within this broad frame about looking at the characteristics of the people on the move is who are the wayfarers on the journey and what do they experience? A conventional way that we could approach this is obviously in terms of the demography and the gender. Children, adolescents, young adults and elderly, I think the latter particularly maybe a particularly untapped population with respect to journey experiences. They will all provide different lenses it seems to me through which to investigate the journey, even to a kind of intergenerational dimension. For example, my own work on, on Greek Cypriot refugees has not actually explored the journey, but certainly the work that I've done on the kind of m the myth of return and notions of return is very much um, a transmitted experience intergenerationally from refugees who left in 1974 and now into the second and third generation the journey, the process is transmitted as an unfinished journey until it uh, will be completed on return. So the kind of conventional parameters, if you like, of, of gender, demography, age and so on, I think are significant. But I, I suspect a potentially more insightful and rewarding framework is to explore and compare the experience of the journey of taken with or without close relatives or friends. And I think the, there may be a lot of significant differences here. The level of social support for the individual, the resources for managing the journey, um, and how these differ between individuals and groups. Um, the ethical dilemmas. Do you leave somebody who's dying on the journey? <coughs> how do you bury them? I think some of these really harsh decisions, painful though they are, obviously, to researchers, let alone to the, the research, I think can provide very significant insights into different kinds of journey for the individual. And I was struck recently by uh, the work of one of my doctoral students, Evelina Littman, who's looking at the life of young refu refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo in Uganda. Now her work is not about the journey, but her work is focusing on notions of trust and mistrust in individuals and ethnic groups. And quite clearly a lot of the trust and mistrust that uh, is represented and reflected by these young Congolese refugees in Uganda are conditioned by the experiences of trust and mistrust of their fellow travellers, wayfarers on the journey itself, as much as in, in Uganda and in Kampala where she's doing her work. And establishing trust or mistrust on the journey was both experiential of itself but also was shaped by pre-existing stereotypes of ethnic trust and mistrust and experiences on the journey with individuals which confirmed or denied these pre-journey assumptions. I think another potentially significant way of investigating social meaning of journeys is to differentiate between individual and group journeys. When a group is on the move, and this is very much Benes's <coughs> work, there are, I think, sort of a variety of different conditions that will pertain to the experience of the journey than, for example, when it is individuals managing themselves or perhaps part of a very fragmented group of individuals maybe smuggling or moving together simply because the modalities suit that process. And it seems to me that under these conditions, the experience on and of the journey have the potential to produce very changed meanings in the way individual members of the group uh, see each other and how the group sees itself. And here, again, sort of classic... Um, 
research areas for refugee uh, people involved in refugee studies, issues of resilience, coping capacities, the norms of mutual support, whether these are sustained or fractured under the exigencies of the journey, the meaning ascribed to these changes seem to me to be very powerful and very significant. Focusing on his analysis of the meaning of the journey for individuals rather than a group, Ben Ezer studies uh, some of these kind of cross-cutting issues. He deals, for example, with the theme of Jewish identity and the function of the journey, both as an exodus embodied in the history of the identity, obviously, of Jewish people, and the lived experience of the journey itself, which, he argued, had, the, had as a focal point sort of purifying the identity of the group through their suffering. And he, one particular aspect he draws, uh, example he draws of this kind of complex uh, transformative experience of the journey was the difficulty of, of observing particular Jewish laws and customs uh, in a hostile environment which often demanded that they had to deny their Jewishness or transgress laws, <coughs> particularly in terms of burial, uh, burial rituals of people who died en route. But the final part of the paper, and this I was sort of working on yesterday and haven't really sort of clarified in my mind, but just very briefly, the sort of question I've asked here is, uh, the, the, the sort of subheading I put, the, I, I said the existential, the epi epistemic journeys. And what I mean by that is, of course, that by focusing on the journey, we're looking, um, my argument has really been that the journey itself is, if you like, um, a state of exception. But one could argue um, that once one starts thinking about the nature of the journey, um, the kind of stimuli to the journey, the social and economic systems and the, that, that mediate the journey, the time span over which one observes the journey, it seems to me that this raises really sort of epistemic questions and challenges really about the journey as a specific and unique event uh, rather than the natural order of things. Uh, and I'm thinking here particularly, for example, of nomadic people such as the Bedouin or, or Nando's work on the Roma, really with, one could argue that the journey is a way of life, a cultural way of being rather than a state of exception. And similarly, perhaps in adapting to crisis-like situations such as drought, we know a lot of uh, anthropological study on the way societies adapt to dr drought through mobility strategies um, and journeys that are well attuned to the nuances of, of climate change and changing weather patterns. So the question um, I would ask here is, have I constructed really a straw man? Is the journey really a state of exception? Is it a unique event? Or certainly for some communities, and maybe for many other communities, it is uh, a natural order of things, although perhaps with extreme and <coughs> unique conditions. So to conclude, what an exploration of and insights into the lived experience of journeys reveal and highlight, I think, are formative, potentially life-changing experiences that the wayfarers undergo. Exploring the experience of the journey can shed new light on social and individual capacities, on the way identities are formed and reformed, the issues of adjustment and transition of refugees. I think it may help to explain, as I've said, some of the disjunctive and sometimes the enduring pathological behaviour of refugees, which arguably could be grounded in the trauma but the little understood experience of the journey. I think a more positively an investigation can, into the journey and the lived experience of the journey can help to explain how new resources, new capacities and social attributes and aspirations 
emerge from that experience. We can better understand how the journey perhaps painfully enriches individuals and communities and enhances their resilience and capacity survival, for, for their capacity for survival. Exploring the journey thus significantly changes our understanding of the world of refugees and I think the modalities of intervention. Thank you.